It's the Andy Social Podcast, episode 222, 222, pew, pew, pew. Anyway, this week, even Larry in the background is like, shut up. This week's guest is Matthew Zengera. Matthew, I've known for quite a few years uh, with me um, in our band, Lord, uh, traveling over to Adelaide and playing a bunch of shows. He's a bit of a metal fan. So I uh, see him at these shows, but more recently I discovered uh, via and a little credit and shout out for uh, Neil Walton, um, who directed me towards Matthew again because Matt's a bit of a, a bit of a rock doctor. He's uh, he's a geologist. He does geophysics and geology, and in the back of my mind, I've got a really funny feeling that maybe he's told me this in the past, but. You know, you have a few ales, a few lagers, and things get a bit hazy to to retain information, recall information. So, I took this as a as a clean slate, and I got to know Matthew all over again. Um, this is one of the great things about podcasting, and I think I need to reach out to more people that I've met um, through my travels, being in Lord. Uh, I've met so many amazing people um, at shows um, all over the world, and so many amazing backgrounds and stories and professions that people have, and um, there's only so much you can chat about or um, a level of depth that you can get to at a gig uh, before you play or after you play and with beers involved, etc. So all hail podcasting, podcasting rules. Um, so another great uh, example in this chat of somebody that I get to connect with even better than I did before. So as always, um, if you want to learn more, you can uh, reach out to Matthew. Uh, you can click on the show notes through your podcast player. I'll have links to all these social media handles. Nice and easy to reach out. And you can also check out the show notes over at andydowling.net or andysocial.net. But here we are, another great chat with another great legend from Adelaide. Here we are, Matthew Zengera. Essentially, geology uh, is the study of the Earth. Um, in, in theory, it's also the study of the planets and planetary yeah. forming processes, uh, the things that basically form rocks and you know, degrade rocks and you know, create you know, um, you know, what the distribution of different rocks means in different parts of the Earth, what it means for the Earth's history, um, how you can you know, decode uh, different tectonic processes from uh, looking at different rock types. And of course, you know, what usually uh, geology just do most of their time um, in is uh, mineral exploration or oil and gas exploration and and sometimes uh, working in research as well for government agencies they also uh, work uh, in, in environmental uh, apl- applications and engineering applications because uh, these are have obvious connections into geology as well um, where the geophysics comes in essentially is is it's a bit like doing geology uh, without touching the ground okay um, well the, in you fact get the clean you clean part of the job yeah in some ways uh, <laughs> well you do actually touch the ground in some I mean well if you worked in the seismic industry uh, the seismic uses uh, sound waves to prop- propagate through the earth and um, and then they measure the, uh, uh, the, uh, the the travel time of the of the seismic wave, and then they they can okay. tell from that uh, how many different geological layers it's bounced through, and that kind of right. stuff. Uh, but they used to use dynamite, you know, to set off uh, <laughs> the. Uh, uh, so we've come. In fact, they still do way. in many parts of the world. Yeah, they still use dynamite right. to set off seismic uh, explosions. Now they use things like air guns and and, vi- and earth vibrating trucks and things like that. Um, that's in the oil, oil and gas world, um, but a lot of uh, but uh, many geophysical applications are actually don't involve uh, contact with the earth at all. They just uh, involve uh, uh, sending a, a, a recording the gravity signal of the earth, which varies a lot around as you move around the crust, or the earth's magnetic signals as you move around the, the crust. And then the way these vary tells you a little bit about the composition of the material that you're passing over. 
So depending on you know, magnetic uh, uh, you know, properties of the rocks or, or density properties of the rocks. And that's, that's the primary area, prim- primary area that, I, that, that I work in. Um, yeah. that's, um, that's full on. Because uh, I, I guess one thing, with, especially with a lot of these, um, oh, here's me like, and everyone's listening going, okay, go, go for it, Andy. Like mm. try and wrap your head around yeah, this yeah. one. But I think like your yeah, everyday Joe sort of looks at it and goes, oh, well, yeah, it sounds all fancy and obviously very complicated. And no doubt you've been immersed in this field for years, a lot of study, yeah. a lot of qualifications to get to where you are now. And you sort of mentioned that one of the purposes or one of the roles that that it plays is to assist with finding things such as oil, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So from from various large organisations who are extracting this stuff out of the earth, yep. this is a this is a really critical role in order to be able to find. Can't just start drilling in one particular area and cross your fingers. There's got to be a lot of science behind it to be able to locate it. Correct. Um, is it in addition to that? I guess a lot of this reading that you're doing of of the earth. I mean, I'm. And I'm I'm definitely oversimplifying this, but um, what are some of the what's sort of some of the information that you're getting from it? And I guess what sort of things are being learnt, or I guess what sort of what sort of actions come out of the back of it? So what, mm. what does it do? What, what's, what do we use with this information? Well, um, it's it's basically uh, I sometimes think of uh, geophysics and geology at being uh, at the uh, um, at the very sort of top end of kind of the scientific process in many yeah. in many ways. Um, because fundamentally, uh, we all rely on, you know, on the earth and what comes out of it. We use the materials from the earth, you know, in, a, in, in everything that we do mm, uh, yeah, every single sure. day. Um, and so to understand and produce those things, uh, we need to know the science behind it. Um, but it teaches, an awful, uh, teaches us an awful lot along the way because it ties into many different sciences. It ties into biology, as in um, a lot of uh, the science of biology is, wouldn't be known without understanding the history uh, of uh, biology, and that comes through the understanding, the, you know, looking at fossils in rocks. Uh, um, but it also comes to the understanding of the evolution of the Earth, um, and that is usually described around looking at the ages of different kinds of rocks, looking at plate tectonics, which was discovered through magnetic mapping uh, in the 1950s, 1960s uh, of the oceans, um, and that uh, has helped. You know that that completely redefined uh, at, at that time. Time, for example, it redefined everyone's view of the Earth uh, uh, as a as a dynamic object. Mm. Nobody really understood up until then what kind of processes were you know caused volcanoes, for example, uh, what the structure of the Earth in, of the Earth's interior was like. Um, and so all these kinds of processes apply not just to the Earth, but they apply to any, any, any kind of planetary body. So uh, that's why geophysics and geology is very much the science of planetary, uh, planetary bodies. So it's, it's uh, at the smallest scale, in a, in a way, you're using it for things to understand things like environmental applications yeah. or archaeology. Um, at, at, uh, the, the, at a medium scale, if you like, uh, you're using that to probably understand where different kinds of resources can be found, like you know, uh, iron ore and yep. uranium and uh, uh, things like this, gold. Um, but you're also uh, looking at it uh, on the on the on the then on the macroscopic sort of scale to uh, understand uh, what important processes affect the Earth, and and these, of course, then start into into long-term issues affecting the Earth, things like. Uh, um, where is it? You know, where are good and safe places to live? Uh, what? Uh, how this is linked to things like uh, uh, climate change, 
um, and you know where how this type of evolution has affected the evolution of humans um, and so it links into a lot of different kinds of sciences and so studying this science is it's it uh, has a direct feed into a lot of different applications that people I guess uh, take for granted uh, every day on or sometimes they work in an area and they don't even know that 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 that, uh, that uh, it's actually impacted by geology and geophysics so it's not yeah. as, it's not as niched as it may initially appear to be like mm-hmm. it, as you said like it just extends into so many different areas of yep. of of the sciences let alone just i guess existence like you know the uh even what you said before about <clears throat> sort of looking at other planets yeah the more that we understand our own planet and the makeup of that and i guess it, it's i mean is it is it like looking at tree rings is it sort of like looking into yeah. see and you can Absolutely. sort of map it out and see what's happened over hundreds of thousands of millions of years, et cetera, and then be able to sort of then look at what the, I guess, what chemical compositions of other planets are and then sort of yeah, be able that's to right. find we look at We look at, uh, we understand uh, what might have been the different types of processes that have, had, that have affected our other, other planets because of uh, looking at the processes yeah. that affect our own planet. Uh, so, for example, you mentioned tree rings. That's a, you know, quite a good analogy. Um, there are th- things like that uh, all across the Earth in, in, in uh, coming in different kinds of forms. So, so I mentioned plate tectonics. Mm. The reason why they know about that is because there's magnetic striping that affects uh, that that is present uh, in the in the in the ocean, and that's a record of, of magnetic field reversals uh, over time okay. since uh, way back to maybe 65 to 85 million years ago uh, in different parts of the ocean. That's about as old as we can see it. Um, but that uh, has measured, you know, the the growth of the Earth's crust uh, over that over that period of time, and then knowing and seeing the pattern of it has enabled us to see a record of those changes occurring. Um, Is it almost like a prediction to be able to also predict what may happen? Because it's sort of like yeah. you can see the patterns. So obviously, yeah. it'd be things that would be would be repeating over time over those millions of years. That no doubt that gives you some confidence of what the future brings as well. A little bit, yeah. So. We can understand sort of long-term cha- trends and changes yeah. uh, in the Earth, uh, and how that's affected things for for humans and animals over over the course of the Earth's history. It's been used to help uh, track down uh, mass extinctions, uh, for example, mm-hmm. of animals and, and plants. Um, it's also been used to track uh, anthrop- you know, anthropogenic uh, changes, uh, you know, that have you know have affected you know the development of humans over the course of the last uh, sort of two million years. Yeah or more uh, and things like that and we can get some concept of what this might, things might be like as well in the future by looking at different past geological models and, and indeed you know climate models and things like that that are associated with it uh, to get an idea of what, uh, of what uh, maybe you know coming up in the future if you change, uh, change different kinds of parameters. Um, as an interesting sort of uh, comparison for, for example we can if you look over at Mars Mars is a is a is a planet where plate tectonics uh, stopped uh, uh, billions of years ago, probably about two two billion years ago. But if you then if you go to and it's more or less a dead planet now. But uh, whereas Venus, for example, is very much tectonically active, mm. and it's, it's con- and then the surface of Venus is continually being uh, terraformed, if you like. It gets uh, every you know maybe every few hundred thousand to a million years uh, the entire surface uh, uh, gets you know um, erupted and remelted and solidified over and then happens all over again oh, wow yeah so you know we understand this because we've looked at the different kinds of processes that affect our own planet and then then we can see these things happening uh, elsewhere like volcanoes on io for example uh, uh, in the surrounding jupiter and things like that so obviously mm. i mean some immediate things would be 
sort of understanding how the Earth's reacting in, I mean, because in the short term, because ultimately when you look at humans, we haven't been around that long. And yep. you're, you're, you're dealing with various minerals and, and the Earth that's been around, and you said before, like 60 plus million years. Yep. Um, we're we're a blip, like so. Really, oh, yeah. how how do you how do you understand what happens in that blip when really you're looking at something that's over such a long span of time? So, I guess when you're sort of collating this information, you're learning and getting more and more data. Um, you know what what sort of things do you think about? Because I mean, you know, all these debates, and not to, I'm certainly not going to get political because I've got no idea what I'm talking about. But you know, when there's all these debates around the world changing, uh, the climate changing, et cetera, et cetera, for whatever yeah. reason it might be, I mean, ultimately the question is going to be, well, what what do we need to do with it? And as we collect data, yeah. um, how much of an influence are we going to have? Yeah, um, yeah. How, how long are we actually going to be here for? Because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe with that blip and that blip doesn't continue on, it just ends at a particular period of time in the grand scheme of things. Well, it's a very good point. Uh and it's an area where even geologists and geophysicists, even though they know a lot more in some respects than, than most, uh, do feel conflict themselves. Uh, I think, I guess, sometimes you get a bit, with any kind of information data set, uh, it sometimes uh, feels a bit overwhelming trying to mm. uh, assess all the different variables that affect it and understand how uh, it might impact your own life, uh, let alone other people's yeah. uh, uh, lives. Um, and I think part of the problem with uh, being a geoscientist uh, is that m- many geoscientists are, are purveyors of this kind of information and it's not always very easily represented or sold to mm. the general public, especially not compared to, say, in the 1980s, which was a great period for, for science, if you like. You know, that is when science you know, was very much uh, embraced, mm. uh, I think, uh, by a lot of the... By a lot of the general public, we had the space shuttles and uh, we had, you know, co- developments of computers and the internet and all kinds of interesting technologies uh, sort of emerging and a lot of stuff that we now take a little bit for for granted. But I think uh, the problem with being a, a geoscientist uh, these days is understanding uh, your own position in the world, as you say, and communicating that uh, we are only a small piece of it, but we also carry a very large amount of responsibility as, mm. uh, as kind of as... You know the uh, the people who are at the top end of our, you know, top end of our tree, if you like, uh, in terms of you know the uh, the the ecology of the planet and, yep. and and the ecosystem of the planet. And so I think uh, some geoscientists get wrapped up too much in in the idea that we really are a blip, and you know that anything that happens now, well, you know, it's really just not much in the grand scheme of things. So and they drop in the ocean, sort of. Yeah, thing. drop in the ocean, and they can't see past that. They'll go, all right, tomorrow. Um, the uh, uh, what's the name of that? Oh, uh, oh Yellowstone. Yep. So the Yellowstone is sitting on a on a massive uh, magma chamber, mm. and uh, and you know there's basically it's erupted before um, in the in the in the Holocene sort of uh, epoch, you know, in the last sort of hundred thousand years. And when it has done, um, it's cr- caused amazing, you know, massive widespread devastation and and lifted debris into the air. It's probably you know possibly even triggered I- uh, ice age events because of you know the cooling. Associated with the suspending of, uh, of particles. Of oh yeah, it's in, you know, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Ticking time bomb. Ticking time bomb stuff. Um, and so people will say, well, you know, one of those could go off, or we could have another Krakatoa eruption, or something like that, yeah. and then that'll undo anything that the uh, that, that the humans have done. And that's right. That's actually technically correct. So they go, oh, therefore, you know, we don't, we're not responsible yeah. for anything, and you know, stuff it every, you know, we don't, you know, we don't care. Um, 
But that's actually, uh, I think that's recklessly uh, yeah. ir- irresponsible. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that in the in the in the golden age of of humans, if you like, uh, in the last three thousand years, whilst there's been some big mega uh, uh, geological uh, events. We've mostly lived in a, in a, in a fairly good time uh, during the Earth's history where uh, the climate's been pretty good. It's been slowly warming, and now it's massively warming. But, you know, we've also lived in a, a relatively protected uh, time uh, overall compared to other times in the geological past where there's been a lot of major volcanic eruptions and instability and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff, which made it quite inho- in, inhospitable for And uh, also for probably, yeah. you know, things hitting the planet as well mm-hmm. yeah bollards uh you know asteroids and meteors um and yeah of course you know one of them could come smashing down and uh <laughs> you know uh, i think it's not it's not much that keeps but, me awake at night but stuff yeah, like that yeah, i sort of go yeah. oh like i mean it depends on how you look at it because part of me sort of that's that's what gets me gives me the cold sweats to think about some sort of eruption some sort of something hit, hitting the earth and just like going wiping everything out but then yeah. at the same time it's sort of like there's almost a bit of peace about it because it's like there is honestly nothing you can do. Like once Correct. once you get to that point, there's no responsibility. There's nothing. There's, there is nothing. Yeah. That's it. That you, you're done. So really, there's nothing to worry about because it it it's it's beyond you. Yeah. Um. But it's it, it's an interesting thing, as you said, because there there is an argument to say, well, any of these things can happen at any point in time. Um. So. Who cares? You know, yeah, and, 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 and what impact do we really have? So some people are really like, oh well, you know, we may as well make some money out of uh, you know, uh, sort of finding some uh, cheap coal somewhere and uh, selling it to some disadvantaged country and uh, making as much money as we can. Look, uh, I don't, I don't really buy into that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. I, I'd like to try and, I mean, I come from a bit of a mindset where I uh, probably uh, tend to upset sometimes people who are from the more green and left side of things and i probably also would do the same thing to people on the other yeah. side of politics <laughs> i i i uh, uh i think uh humans have a very big responsibility and and everything that we do does affect uh does affect the planet so it's a it's it's a uh something that you know i con- i very consciously sort of have to think about uh, every single day but i also have to be mindful of the fact that uh, you know with the earth we are living in a dynamic system and we're the shepherds if you like of our own you know but kind of being that at the top of our chain gives us a lot of responsibility yep. to protect and nurture and that's kind of what we can be really good at sometimes but we're also very good at destroying things you oh. know so and uh definitely we're definitely good at destroying you know, stuff and uh it's definitely a it's a topic of a lot of a uh, topic of a lot of metal music there you know that's a that's for sure <laughs> it definitely know. it definitely creates yeah. a lot of content yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what but it's yeah. um yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think I think for your everyday, I mean, for you, it's it's more unique than than your, your average person because you understand a lot of the science behind it, so you can yeah. see you can see what impact certain things have or don't have. Whereas yeah. I think most people out there are only sort of following whatever the latest narrative is, and, Correct, and, yeah. and a lot of it's emotion, yeah, emotionally of it's driven. Emotional driven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so that's and that's a really hard thing to navigate, and you think, oh well. You know, am I going to feel guilty every time I do a particular thing, or should I be doing more? And what's my impact? And then you sort of think, you just get overwhelmed and think, well, what what hope do I have to to make any? Why bother? Basically, correct. And it's it's very hard to spruik the benefits of uh, things that are you know that are healthy and helpful mm. uh, uh, at, at the times in geoscience. So, you know, without you know uh, going into this whole emotional uh, uh, debate that drives mm. a lot of these kinds of arguments, people can produce facts and figures these days, you know, seemingly at willy to try and justify their own types of arguments and stuff. But there's very few people out there who 
uh, understand you know both the short term uh, view and the long term view at the same time. Mm. Um, it's it's a, it's a, it is a difficult thing to uh, embrace. Um, but I mean, I guess you know, growing up as a child and being drawn to science, I, I originally wanted to be uh, an astrophysicist. You know, yeah, right. and. Okay. I kind of got sidetracked into geology. It must have been, you know, the rock factor, you know, <laughs> the rock and metal factor. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, look, at, uh, I, I guess that sort of comes um, from, yeah, I guess maybe wanting to both understand, you know, the natural understanding of wanting, of, of wanting to know what's going on with the planet. But also later in life, also wanting to bring some of that stuff back to people and educate them and, you know, and teach them become a, and give them things that you've learned about 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 uh, about the process, and hopefully they can sort of you know uh, understand, begin to understand you know the humans' role in the scheme of things and what the planet's role is in the, in the scheme of things as well. I think it's a big thing about science, and although you said like so, the eighties was a bit of a heyday where there was a lot of. I guess, big changes. Like, so for your everyday person, when you're looking at it, it's like, wow, you're going from zero to a hundred almost. Mm. And these days now it's exponential with technology and the way that we're, we're moving. But ultimately we're, we're living in a, in a space now where something fantastic happens and you're like, well, well oh, I'm, not, yes. I'm not surprised really. Like we, we could have seen that happen. But I think one thing now with, um, with science, and I think over probably the last five or 10 years is that it's becoming more, it's, it's integrated more into pop culture, I think, yep. now. And I think the big thing about it is having the right people out there that are narrating it in a way that makes it digestible for your everyday person. Because science, most, I mean, I did, I did science in school. Like, that was a struggle. That was, mm. I, I've got... I, I, I've got nightmares just thinking mm. about my science teachers and the, and the stuff that, you know, we had to we had to study and not understanding it. And, you know, sometimes it's the, the delivery of the message rather than the content oh, itself. Oh, yeah, and there's no doubt that sometimes people in science are, are kind of, you know, a bunch of weird, nerdy freaks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Maybe lacking some social skills. Yeah, we had, this, <laughs> we, had this, we had this teacher in high school and he was called Mr. Johnson. He taught us <laughs> physics and he was famous for wearing the same pair of brown trousers every day and walking around with his hand in his pocket and sweat continually stripped, dripping off his forehead. Oh, I one. mean, you know, um, and sometimes when you go on the news and in the media, right, and you see some person who's uh, they're, they're, they're interviewing to talk about some particular topic, you know, that's actually of quite, quite significant importance, then, then they just turn out to be, the, you know, one of these crazy weird gronks who sort of garbles out a message uh, in a way that most people are just simply not going to be able to uh, comprehend and they'll just take the entirely opposite impression. Well, I think the big thing so. like with, with, with people, you sort of look at someone talking like that and, it, I mean, it's always impressive. You sort of get gobsmacked going, oh, wow, like that person's really intelligent. But then at the end of it, you're like, uh, but what do you actually, like, what, what's it mean? Like, what, what, what do you mean? actually, yeah. And I think, yeah. I think there are people out there now that have pushed more in the way of, making it more digestible for your everyday person and just saying like, yeah, it's all complicated. It's complex. You know, the people that are in this, in these fields have, have been studying and they've got credentials and there's a level of yeah, complexity again, that is beyond most of us. However, what this ultimately means is that we can, uh, you know, I was talking to an astrophysicist and she said like, um, you know, certain things out of her studies and, and what, what people have been able to do in the field is be able to invent things like GPS and like all these, sure. all these things we take for granted. So yeah, all these technologies. Yeah, yeah, and so it all comes from these sciences. And so I think when people start to draw the links in, they go, ah, oh, this is actually really important. It's not just about somebody, you know, puffing their chest out and throwing a whole bunch of intellect out there where people don't understand. There's, there's really important stuff that links into everyday life. Well, that's right. I mean, people don't go drilling holes in the ground, you know, just for fun. 
well, at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, they do it because there's a need for it. Um, you know, for example, uh, lithium yep. and, and copper, uh, they're two of the most important metals in the world right now. They didn't used to be so important. Uh, if we're going to move into a happier, healthier, greener, more environmentally friendly future, we need both of those things. Yep. So, and we have to find them. So, I mean, what things? What things generally would be made up of those materials? So, lithium is, incre- is, is incredibly important yep. uh, in, uh, in 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 batteries. Yep. So, I'll yeah. So, yep. uh, we need lithium for uh, energy storage. Uh, we need lithium probably in the future for working with different types of, uh, you know, dare I say it, uh, of, uh, nuclear type of, yep. of energy type t- types of technologies. Um, we need uh, lithium in building technologies. Um, copper is incredibly important because copper, we're moving into the, this, we're already there very much in the electronic generation. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's if, we're gonna, everything. if we're going to need, uh, if we're going to advance the world into electric cars and hybrid flying cars like I, I read uh, about in the news today mm-hmm. how Hyundai is launching a flying car Uber car uh, next year uh, this year or something <laughs> oh my goodness uh, we're going to need a lot of copper uh, we're going to need a lot, a lot more aluminium to make things uh, lightweight and unfortunately the best the only way they mine aluminium is is uh, going and is often found in you know, under the uh, bedrock of rainforests and things like that you know yeah, so, I think a lot of through Southeast Asia oh, Indonesian places like that is where yeah. they're pulling a lot of these these yeah, these, these things out of the ground, out. and yeah. you know, and it's actually really bad. And so, um, yeah, but you know, we have to be really careful about what humans do. You know, there's, there's, we have to. Part of the reason for telling the science and for educating people and trying to sell them a message about science and the things we do. I have, I, I work in a field which is not, you know, uh, regarded sometimes as as attractive uh, because of those kinds of, you know, destructive kinds of things, but then people don't think about their own lives and yeah. all the different things that other people do. We have wars and we make things that kill each other and we, you know, throw a lot of rubbish into the ocean and we do you know, all kinds of things. That, That's you know, it. That if it's not one thing, planet. it's something else. But, you know, the education uh, of society hopefully will help people gradually understand uh, uh, that, you know, that uh, resources are finite yeah. and uh, we have to live sustainably. And that's, you know, kind of the message uh, along with the science that has to be sold. I think one of the things I've seen you know, some of the narratives out there around, you know, fossil fuels versus renewable energy and and all this sort of stuff. Um, And this is way beyond my my knowledge or expertise. I've got no expertise in it. But, um, you know, one thing I sort of thought, and you just touched on it with, you know, if we're moving in in the direction of electric cars, for example, on its own, just without anything else, um, you know, you're sort of moving away from your traditional fossil fuels tearing up the earth and, and causing all this pollution through that, and then you just move into an, just another form of doing the same thing, in a way. Yeah, you're and transferring guess, the, the thing down the chain. So, you know, you now need the power to be coming from somewhere. Yeah. And instead of the power being generated at the car, it's being drawn, yep. being generated somewhere else. It's yes. being generated at a power station on the grill, so that's going to use more power. Yeah. So... Yeah, everything still has a uh, has a balance. It might be less emissions, but mm. one end, but it might be drawing more, making more emissions somewhere else. That's right. Or yeah. causing more destruction in the environment somewhere else. But you know, then again, what's the alternative to an electric car? Well, that's that's right. <laughs> I haven't worked it out yet. I'll get yeah. back to you on that one. I think I mean we all need to get so the Back to the Future. We all need some of those super cool uh, anti grav skateboards. You know, like, I reckon just I reckon just everyone should walk these days. Yeah, Don't yeah. even worry about travelling anymore. Just Correct. walk around here. There's some nice parks across the road. That's right. Check yeah, out your local we're area. All just, we're all just getting fat and lazy, you know, <laughs> and, and old. You know, in yeah. my case. Yeah. Um, you've obviously done a lot of travelling for your work. Um, has 
I, I guess, I mean, well, first of all, a couple of things. How long have you actually been in the field doing what you're doing now? And has it been primarily sort of in Australia for most of that time? And it's only been more recently you've been doing stuff overseas or like, what, what's it look like? No, it's been a whole mixture. When I, uh, I started out in, uh, in my career, uh, roughly at, at the end of the 90s. Yep. So beginning of 2000 was when I, you know, after I graduated you know, with, the, you know, the honours degree and all that. And so that was when my career kind of officially sort of started, I suppose. Um, it took a couple of years to get going, but even then, a lot of my initial work was traveling around Australia, okay. collecting um, geophysical and geological data from different parts of Australia. So it's always involved different kinds of travel. But And then after that, one of the, my first jobs, uh, they uh, sent me to, to live in France for a while. As you do. As you do. So I bet uh, your arm was twisted on that one. Oh, yeah, my arm was there, you know, definitely, you know, <laughs> you know like twisted pretty hard. And it was like, oh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, south of France. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so that was pretty cool. I lived there for a few months, and I wouldn't have minded staying longer. But you know, the company kind of buggered up my visa, and I had to had to had to return home. But, Hotel back. Yeah, um, but then yeah, I, I did get a bit of a thirst for it. Then uh, the uh, about two years later, I moved to England, and I worked in 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 England uh, for about eighteen months, and that was a pretty cool time. And in 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 some respects, I also got to play in a band in England that was you know mm. traveling around England and stuff like that. So that was pretty fun. Um, and yeah, I got a bit of started to get a bit of a taste for, you know, the music and, and the world and the different scene that occurs in Europe. Uh, and so that was a, bit, uh, a real eye opener for me at that particular time. Um, then by the time I got back uh, a couple of years later, uh, I, it wasn't really all that long after that that I actually started working for myself. And as soon as I started working for myself, that really did open the door for, for traveling because I had to be flexible and mobile mm. and say, all right, well, for this contract, I need to go and work in another city or I have to go and be in another, you know, weird part of the country or on some other, you know, some other continent. So, uh, so yeah, that's when things really did start opening up for me and then things did, uh, um, I've been, yeah, a lot of places since then. Well, I yeah. know that, I know people that listen to this podcast are probably just imagining my eyes sort of light up when people start talking about being self-employed. Mm. Uh, so, um, but I, w- <laughs> I won't, I won't dig in too much, but, um, I guess what you do now is it, is it obviously it's a contract sort of thing that you you, you go into these contracts? Yep. But is it are you acting as like a consultant or something like that, or is yeah. it particular tasks that you you're, you're operationally doing? Or? Yeah, I think uh, I'm a I'm a consultant, so uh, I, I provide basically a technical service, yeah. you know, that specialises in you know in in the areas that I work. I mentioned before in in gravity and magnetism uh, for the most part, mm. um, and so. In my area, I guess I've discovered some particular niches uh, that uh, um, where I'm a bit more skilled than than most, and there's not really all that many people in the world who do. It's always a good thing. Who do this kind of stuff? So, uh, yeah, that means I get you know I have to, I still have to go out there and spruik myself. I, I have to, I travel to a number of conferences uh, every bit year. Of networking. Yeah, a bit of networking. Yeah, networking always usually yeah, involves yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of social good times. You know, <laughs> uh, and you know, so it's a little bit of a rock and roll lifestyle with That's that. Cool. Um, uh, sadly, without some of the rock and roll, but however, it does get me out to music for music 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 festivals and things like that. Well, so. especially if you're in Europe, yeah, you're in Europe, you're in the exactly. mecca of it all. Yeah, so there's heaps exactly. of stuff, heaps of stuff there. Yeah, I'm really lucky actually. There's this one particular festival. Uh, uh, sorry, festival. One particular. Well, there's a 
the bloody festival. Um, it's it's uh, yeah one particular geoscientific conference. It's in Europe and it basically happens uh, in a different European city okay. uh, every June in the early part of June, and so that always coincides with Download or you know uh, Hellfest, Hellfest or Grasspipe or Sweden. Rock. I actually I haven't been to Hellfest yet. I tried to get a ticket this year, but it just sold out. The bloody crazy. system. Uh, I was online and I just got booted off. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! There were so many of us just sitting there at the time, and we're all just getting knocked off, you know. And we're just like, "What?" Quick refresh, oh, refresh, 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 and then you go back to the end of the queue, and it was just—it was just a, <laughs> as soon as it happened once, it was all over. Well, yeah. it certainly makes things easier if oh. you've already got to be over there for another purpose, and mm. and you can tie it in with with some of yeah. this stuff. That's I'm that's very lucky. Cool. I'm very—I I admit that uh, in this respect, I'm very lucky with my job. I get to have that flexibility at times to go and travel and then include a few things. Yeah, know, so definitely. I don't always actually get real holidays as such. I sometimes just get a few days off here and there, you know. But last couple of years, I've been lucky to have some slightly longer stints uh, where I've you know been able to take a bit of time off and you know enjoy the enjoy enjoy some festivals and travels and you know and f- figuring out some historical stuff and yeah. All well, I think psychologically, when you when yeah. you're working for yourself. Uh, the, your traditional holidays where you get you know your annual leave every year mm. um, it's a different it's a different thing like you know obviously you, you're working but there's more of a, a balance where you can you can have lifestyle integrated into what you do you know? correct yeah and part of that comes part of the my the cost of 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 doing what I do so mm. the expenses of, of, of doing what I do um, yeah I get to enjoy a few of those extra things that go with um, my work because they form part of the the trip I have to include it along with yep. my work I've got really got no other choice about it otherwise I don't get to do anything I'd be sitting there just obsessing about work all the time <laughs> and uh, traveling uh, for a lot for your your job um, you know is is can be frustrating and it can be you know kind of a lonely experience as well yeah. you know I don't really particularly enjoy sitting on planes yeah. for example and you know and being in hotel rooms like where oh, yeah, we are like where we are right now so I'm looking <laughs> around this thing I'm going oh this is just like another home away from home that's right yeah, yeah. but I mean yeah so like I said it's a bit like like the rock and roll lifestyle every time I keep thinking of, you know, Iron Maiden, Wasted Years and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you'll have your, you'll have yeah. your, uh, your traveling soundtrack. Always. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What, um, so working for yourself, I mean, who would be the general people that would be employing you to do consultancy work, contract work, etc.? Would it be, be stereotypical type of companies or people that would be yeah. giving you services? Uh, it does vary a bit, but yeah, generally speaking, it's oil and gas companies yep. uh, or mining uh, okay. exploration companies. Yep. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it can be uh, government uh, agencies. It can even be, uh, yeah, people not, I'm not actually necessarily doing project work for them. I might be training uh, I, I sometimes go over and train people in, in the use of different kinds of geological and geophysical software, for example. Cool. And I'll go to some sort of government organisation in, I think, yeah, last year or the year before, it was uh, in uh, um, Uzbekistan. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh. yeah. It's pretty random. That's How about, much time have we got about, for this podcast? All right. That's about, that's about, that's about <laughs> as random as you can get. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, just go there and I had to work through a Russian translator and, um, yeah, show them how to do different stuff. What? Yeah. Okay, so I've got this. Um, one of the things, so, you know, we're in 2020 now and and um, I was talking to my wife the other day and I was talking about things I wanted to do for the podcast this mm. year and I've got all these ideas and so I'm doing a bunch of recordings. Yeah. But I said, I go, I love, I love watching really sort of random, odd documentaries about 
all the stance, all that part of the world, which is just so fascinating. So yeah. fascinating. So I have to ask, and we can go off on a tangent. I'll, I'll try not to go off too much, but what the hell is that place like? And what oh. was your experiences there? Like what? Yeah, Uzbekistan. So I was there only for two weeks. And yeah, most of it was, you know, unfortunately locked up in a, you know, in a, in a well, locked up in an institution, <laughs> as it were, um, with a bunch of Russians. But, um, you know, well, this is the, the, their country is going through something of a revival from a, moving from basically a, uh, um, a socialist slash communist uh, um, uh, regime from the Russian period of, you know, of, of the 50s to the... Uh, to the 90s and then in the last a lot of them have swapped over from that to either socialist so-called socialist dictatorships mm. or maybe even Islamic uh, kind of uh, uh, more religious uh, sort of you know led type uh, uh, quasi quasi dictatorships um, you know autocracies mm. or uh, in effect um, and so what you see is this kind of there is this real hybrid uh, of a lot of the very old and the new. So, for example, the place, the room where I was staying, and many of the hotels there uh, in in Tashkent, they basically look like they just come out of some sort of uh, Eastern European slash Russian no. kind of uh, you know film from the nineteen fifties or sixties. Oh, They've all so got cool. this crazy kind of <laughs> ass wallpaper and ancient furnishings and yes, yeah, you know, slightly decrepit sort of you know uh, you know building uh, um, qualities and. Yeah, and, and you know, people think that this kind of thing is you know is still pretty much you know this is what people kind of want. You know, like uh, the um, tastes are so different. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then you go out and the, the streets around in Tashkent, they they are a mixture of, I guess, uh, probably buildings from the maybe the nineteen twenties to the nineteen fifties mm. period, kind of yeah, not particularly pleasant looking. Um, you know, but I guess old school um, social housing. Yeah. And then communist era, um, well, what would have been f- big blocks of apartments and things like that, which are now very run down looking mm. and kind of look like a bit like the high school that I went to in the, you know, in the 1980s, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and then you've got these vast green government parks with these beautiful polished white buildings. Wow. And, you know, they look like this is where all actually all the social all the social dollars get spent. Yeah, I was going to say, you can see where yeah. all the money's going. Yeah, well. Yeah. And so then they're sort of stuck in the middle of it. And it's, you know, surprisingly, uh, a lot of the streets are uh, surprisingly well maintained. Um, and certainly in the areas around the world, the government for function, you know, you know uh, function type buildings and things like that are definitely very well maintained. But then you'll go out into the market and, you know, and it's just... People are just selling crap. Potatoes. Yeah. 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 Horse. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's, 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 uh, yeah. And sort of, and, but a lot of Uzbekistan has got that fusion of Mediterranean type culture to it. Okay. And yeah. uh, it's, it's more like, it's more like a fusion of, 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 uh, uh, of Chinese, if you like, um, and Iranian, uh, Persian, Persian culture. Yeah, so right. uh, the feel of the place, in actually in many ways, is a little bit like the feel that you get when you're in Turkey or something yeah. like that, and if you've ever been to Turkey. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was quite similar. But when you go out of, out of, as soon as you go out of the city, it's just, it, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's subsistence, but it's, it feels like you're sort of still at the, 
closer to almost like peasant farming kind of mm. uh, uh, sort of level from maybe around the turn of the century. So, or turn of the previous century, I should say, you know, nine, you know, like 1890s to 1920s kind yeah. of looking sort of old old hovels and hamlets and it must be like going and, going and, to and a time culture and stuff like that uh, yeah. time channel time <laughs> time machine like a just time to, machine uh, time yeah. capsule just to go back and yeah. sort of go wow like this is like these guys haven't it's almost like being locked off from the rest of the world because i i, I mean i always have really stupid thoughts all the time but i i sort of watch all these documentaries and i'm looking at these people and just such a r- radical different way of living but yep. very dated in a lot of ways and i sort of look at it and go do they even know what's happening in the West or in another part of the world? Like, it's just, it's just absolutely incredible to see how different, and, I, and there's lots of other countries that are sort of far more um, out there than, than that sort of region of the world, but um, there's just something that seems so closed off by, by a lot of it that is just incredibly fascinating. Yeah, well, I was just thinking, I was just looking up there on my phone, the, uh, the Soviet, Soviet cars, yeah. Uh, the 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 larder. There's just they're just everywhere. Everywhere. They're just like something like in you know, there. When like I remember like watching uh, SBS television yeah. uh, in the in the in the late 1980s when it when it when it first sort of started yeah. and you know the, you're watching these uh, films that have been made in 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 Yugoslavia or something like that yeah. uh, or in in Eastern Europe and yeah you see I felt like I was just transported back to one of those yeah you know, like uh, most of the time but then as you go south and you go into the place there's places like Samarkand and Samarkand's mm-hmm. on the Silk Road and it's absolutely just you know you know that is just chock full of all that kind of Mongol mm-hmm. kind of history oh, so yeah. yeah so this is Marco Polo country yeah so yeah sort of right uh, right there and you know and uh, Timalane and all of that kind of stuff. So then there's, you see these amazing mosques and temples and, yeah, and all of that kind of stuff. So, see that, I mean, obviously the work that you do on a day-to-day basis is interesting, especially yep. in your field. But to, as, as sort of like a consequence of doing that, to be able to be thrown into these like otherworldly areas around, around the globe is just incredible. Yeah, I've had some interesting experiences. I've been lucky to go to a couple of random places. I've been to Mali as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, in yeah. West Africa. And I was out doing a gravity survey out there. And that was out in, in even in situations which are even much more primitive than that. So uh, people just with, with no access to electricity and they still live at very much subsistence level, uh, subsistence farming, just living in clusters of little huts out in the middle of nothing. And they sort of survive off a millet and and uh, growing melons and, uh, you know, uh, and gourds and <laughs> kind of other kind of really basic subsistence crops. Oh, I think man. they might have a couple of motorbikes in between each village and that, that's, that, that's all they have. And here I am bitching about... Well, the women just washing their clothes in the, in the rivers and you oh. walk by them, you know, in the morning and they're just looking at you like... Oh my God, it's a white person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I just, I laugh at like the stuff that you complain about where like I'm, I'm bitching about, you know, oh, why isn't my thing connecting to 4G? Why is it sitting in 3G? And, uh, and you sort of think that to somebody like that would be like, well, they can't, it's not even that they don't understand. They just can't even comprehend. Can't even what comprehend you, it. Like not even that itself, but what's that linked to? What, what does it even mean? Like well, the villages I've been through, they'd barely even seen a car before. Yeah, wow. Like uh, I got out of the car and the people would just come running up and uh, yeah, I'd you know, get out my digital camera oh, yeah. and then they can see themselves in this digital camera screen and you show that to the child and they're just like, 
Must just freak him out. And yeah, and they're just like, oh my god, and they're just trying to you know rip it off you and everything, and, uh, <laughs> so run away with it and play with it, uh, and uh, <laughs> just stuff like that. Do you ever feel overwhelmed going to some of these places? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they were you know these people, some of these people were being sold a bit of a sold down the, a bit of a, a bad story by their government about yeah. what would happen in their region if you know an I am all mine uh, was developed out there. Right. Okay. Oh yeah, suddenly you can all get jobs and you can all uh, earn money and yeah. you can get technology. Uh, and things like this. And I was just going around, walking around there going, yeah, I don't really know if it's actually going to make these lives of these people. So they have a tough life here, but is, is that having all that stuff, is that, is that really going to benefit them? I think they might need some more basic things to begin with before they yeah. jump from zero to 100. Like yeah. it's, uh... And once again, it'll be, it would be exploited. Only the creme of the yeah. creme would actually uh, you know, drive material benefits out of it. And I was thinking, I was, it was one of the times I've been out there and I was thinking, well, I kind of really hope we don't actually find anything. Yeah, I'd rather just this place was just left as it is. Is it? Mm. I mean, obviously, there's there's things that you learn every single time you're out in the field um, that sort of builds up your own knowledge in in that in your own expertise. But I mean, what sort of what sort of eye opening sort of things have you come across by doing this work? Just in general, like stuff that you just never thought you'd ever like. Whether it be sort of like you know those sort of circumstances where you're seeing how you know a village or a community could be potentially impacted by by sort of the outcome of of these yeah. not so much your work but like i guess the bigger picture of what's happening in that area yeah sure that was definitely one of those things mm. i would say that was an, a bit of an eye-opener i mean it was an eye-opener just being there in the first place but i guess thinking about the consequences of what might happen if you know the land around that place was actually developed mm. and so yeah that was definitely uh made me really think about yeah how humans impact the environment and how they and also how they still impact on the environment and whether they live on on that level on that very basic sort of subsistence level uh i have to say in in western africa in that for all its remoteness and all the stuff the people were more harmonious uh, in the way that they were existing there than they're a lot more than what they were in the cities. As soon as you moved them into the cities, all those kind of 20th century type, you know, level issues seems to just suddenly start coming into play. And then the place starts to feel more like India. So, in you know, uh, in India is... is uh, that's a real... I, I found India probably the most eye-opening country that, that I've ever been to uh, in that regard. It just... For the sheer number of people mm. and the sheer number of overuse of shit <laughs> yeah, right. and, and rubbish and pollution and, yeah, disregard for uh, themselves, um, for the animals, for life and, you know, and their surroundings in, mm. in general, it, it never seemed more blatant and 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 awful to me as like a dog eat dog sort of environment as in it, some ways as it was when i went to india uh, i was like take me back to mali you know yeah right wow uh, where in, in india did you go i've been a few places there um i've been to it's not like india's all bad i'm not saying anything necessarily yeah. against indian people or anything not at all but uh it's just there's yeah too much of of stuff that's going on in the way they uh i guess yeah historical you know ways of being and the way that that's become manifestly magnified in the last 50 years mm. uh, to see them affecting their environment 
and and way they affect each other. Um, yeah, I went to I've been to Hyderabad and I've been to Delhi and I've been to the Golden Triangle of cities. Uh, 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 um, what do you call it? Jaipur and Agra. I've been to Dehradun and I've been to Mumbai. And in Mumbai, the slums come right up to the airport. So as you fly in, you can see all the slums. Uh, and, you know... It's incredible. <laughs> see, I mean, I, it's just I, a horror. I haven't been to yeah. India. I've got a few friends that, that live there. And um, it's it's one of those places that I'd love to love to visit. But um, yeah. it's it there, there appears to be just a... It's not even organized chaos. I just... I see chaos to an extent that is just... Um, I, it's like anywhere. Like, really, I mean, if you had... Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a large country... But you've got a large population, and it doesn't matter doesn't matter whether you know it's India or it's anywhere else. I mm. think when you have that volume of people anywhere, mm. and imagine that same thing happening in Australia, you would yeah. you would potentially be in a similar situation. You really come home, you look in your own backyard, and you sort of go, you know, goodness, uh, uh, you know, what happens when I <laughs> when I throw my rubbish in the trash? Where does it go? Mm. What does it do? You know, I mean. And you discover it's being sort of taken to Indonesia, which really shouldn't be having all that kind of stuff. And it gets just, God, you know, goodness knows what happens to it there. It's just, it's probably being disposed of in ways that we really don't really kind of want to know about and care about here. I mean, just, and that's, that's, and that's, and that's, to, that's to help our, make, our, make our cities look good. Um, yeah, China was another, I also mm-hmm. went to China and China was definitely a big, big eye opener. I, I, I just felt like an ant. Yeah. I, I, I felt isolated. Uh, Nobody, of course, then can can speak to you, and nobody cared about you either. It was mm. it, it it was just you really felt like kind of you were on your own, and um, yeah, and really quite insignificant. You were just a, an item of attraction uh, of attraction, like both in India and in China. People like you would just walk around the streets there, and you're this you know big six hey, foot dude man. in a hat, in a hat, in a, in a big uh, kind of a Aussie sort of hat, and you know there's uh, children, some children running around, run, you know, running scared, you know, and uh, other ones all running up to have their photo taken with yeah. you. And, you know, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. It's mad. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just must be so fascinating to be able to go to, to places like that where you've definitely been challenged on a whole number of different levels. I mean, obviously the work that you do is challenging in itself, but then to have the additional sort of layers of being thrown into these these otherworldly environments would be yeah. just immense. And and in every place I go, though, I, I try and seek out the subculture a bit. Mm. You know, I try and see what people are uh, are doing uh, for arts and sort of entertainment and I try and get a bit of a feel of it um, so I'll go and try and seek out you know the local music um, I'll see what people you know and hopefully try and stay away from the trash uh, and more or em- embrace the trash as it were so you, at least you get a you get a taste and a, yeah. a taste and the flavor of it and you go okay yeah I've had that now I don't need I don't need to have that again um, yeah but uh, <laughs> have you found I mean look you you're a massive metalhead and that's that's how we've connected um, have I mean obviously Europe's a big one and you've been to heaps of festivals and it's a big thing for you but um have like just traveling to some of these other places have you tried to seek some of that stuff out oh yeah yeah absolutely have you found yeah. any gems or any anything yeah, unusual yeah I reckon one of the I reckon the coolest place I went to uh was probably Colombia so I was yeah, okay. in I was in Colombia and I went to I was in Bogota yeah. and of course you know in South America they absolutely love their metal yeah. and they of course they love their old school power metal uh and things like that they re- they really dig that sort of shit and yeah, I went to this gig uh, in, uh, in 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 Bogota, and uh, with that, with this guy who was a you know colleague from the uh, I was at I was at uh, uh, the 
geological survey of Colombia. I was giving them training and yep. you know in some you know working with some modeling software. And he took me out. This guy's name was uh, Jesus, you know Jesus. Uh, he took me out to uh, took me out to one of the local gigs, and it was a dry gig. Okay. Uh, yeah, yep. they, they didn't sell any alcohol produce, in yeah. there. And I wish I could remember the name of the band that 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 was playing. It was it wasn't Warlock, but it was something like that. Okay. I was thinking of Warlock, you know, the famous uh, uh, Doris, Doris band. They were from yeah, maybe they were Colombian. Yeah, I have to yeah okay. have to have to go back and have a think about this now. Sure, but. Anyway, uh, so you couldn't drink it. So everybody uh, got cheap drinks from all the all the local sort of stores around and sort of sat around outside, uh, you know, drinking and smoking. And then they all sort of filed in. And the show was just crazy. You know, we had things like flaming phoenixes you know, sort of descending from the ceiling with the singers coming down and he's just going, like, like this, you know, sort of belting out some sort of power metal classic whilst sort of coming down in some sort of, thing you know some sort of strange contraption like as, as though, like we're in some sort of 1980s uh, film clip or something like oh. that yeah it was gold pure gold but was it yeah. was it a small place uh no it was actually reasonably big yeah yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. it was reasonably big so they were one of the bigger uh um, um yeah bands from from the country if that's you know uh yeah i think so wow. yeah so and the the, the it was just just schlock, schlock central, yeah. It was, <laughs> and you know, it was just so much, so so much, so much metal goodness in the in that in that in that moment. I was uh, I was loving it. In a place like that, you, I mean, you wouldn't be. You'd probably stand out like a sore thumb there as well. I mean, was there was there many other sort of foreigners or expats or anything? Yeah, in, in I mostly stood out there because I was uh, reasonably tall. Okay. Yeah. And I think yeah, they could just sort of look at you and go, oh, you know, uh, foreigner mm. probably, because um, uh, uh, Colombians are not super tall people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not like they're a very mixed uh, sort yeah. of, you know, a very mixed race. Um, and so yeah, I think it's not like there aren't you know white people floating around because there's plenty of them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah possibly the, the the subtle different dress and uh and the and the height perhaps and then yeah, right. yeah the, uh i think people seem to notice you straight away and sort of go oh you know where are you from you know, <laughs> yeah that's right that kind of thing so oh, that's cool anywhere yeah. else that you've seen like any sort of metal or, or yeah. bumped into any oh, metal situations yeah uh well i've been out in um in southeast asia a bit yep so uh and and in china so, yeah, seeking out, I've sought out uh, metal music in, in, in China uh, as well. And now where the hell, I was trying to remember where I, where I saw that. Um, I reckon that was in, that was in Beijing. Okay. But it was, it was like, I don't know, that was, it, it probably doesn't really count as much because it was just sort of, you know, it was in kind of one of the main sort of touristy sort of, uh, or just off one of the main sort of touristy sort of areas, which are, uh, north of uh, the, um, uh, the the Forbidden City, okay. and they've got all yep. these little laneways. I yep. think they're called dugongs. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and they sort of crisscross on every old part of the city, and it's, that's been sort of colonised uh, by you know the, the the sort of the you know the um, uh, I guess the alternative crowd, if you like, okay. uh, and it's a bit more sort of cultural. There's a lot of cafes and bars and 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 clubs and places where people play music and stuff like that. So I saw some metal in there. Uh, and that was uh, that was kind of pretty interesting. Uh, I, th- I think even in even in Singapore, they had uh, they had. Uh, I went to a one uh, metal show there, um, and it was in like it's 
there's virtually nowhere to see you know that kind of rock and roll at all in in somewhere like Singapore. Yeah, it's tough, right? Yeah. It's really really tough. And so the room was literally like to, uh, of where the band is playing. It's pretty much about as big as this hotel room, mm. and people were just squashed in there. And once again, it's not licensed. People have to sort of just sit there yeah. and sort of uh, drink outside if that's what they want to do. Uh, and the band's just sort of crushed into the corner and you know forced to play uh, mostly on really really cheap looking kind of instruments and um yeah without really much of a sound system and yet they're you know there was actually a really really good band it was uh, the particular one that i saw uh, i think i'm looked up um, linked up on facebook with one one of the guys who who was playing in that band um as i recall uh where else uh, have i seen that kind of stuff um yeah, that's probably, I mean, I'd say that's probably the couple of the weirdest, uh, you know, well, not, not, Singapore's not weird, but certainly China and uh, China and yeah. uh, uh, Colombia is probably well, it's de- definitely very places. different compared yeah. to your stereotypical places like North America or, or through a large part of sort of Europe as well. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's still, I mean, even these days, it's, it's more popular than ever and a large part of like India is another big place for metal. It is, it's really um, big there, but I haven't managed to find it. I haven't managed to find anything from there yet. Yeah, well, I think, I think India is suffers from a similar thing for with with what Australia is with with metal gigs I think if it's a if it's a large international band coming through and playing shows then they all come out but I think the their local scene will will always struggle because there's just that perception that yeah your locals aren't probably at the same tier as as your Iron Maidens or, or whatever oh for it might sure be. and yeah I think uh, also just the lack of it's yeah their cultural uh, attitudes towards it is like it's still a bit like it's the devil's mm. music you know yeah so yeah uh, so probably some challenges there but it's, it's definitely expanding like uh, I, it's funny just to see people pop uh, pop up in different areas I, I had a guy on the podcast last year I think um, and he he wrote a book oh god he's going to kill me um, oh, Heavy Metal Africa I think it's called and so he's been going to, to Africa for oh, years and years and years, and um, and he's just discovered this metal world, and and starting in sort of South Africa and just working his way up, and he's wow. found all these weird and wonderful bands that are a total DIY. They're playing mm. in like shacks and corners of these yeah. rooms, like you know makeshift what would be like a community hall or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. um, and they just they're developing their own subculture there, and it's just so fascinating. It's so yeah, cool. and then they sort of incorporate the local sounds as well. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you'll get that influence of the of the African sort of sound, or you know, you know, maybe the Indian sort of sound and things like that. And some sometimes that you know it actually fuses really well. That's it. it makes know, it unique. So. You know, something a little little point of difference. You know. Yeah, well, I suppose you think of like uh, what's that Mongolian band, the Who. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, so popular. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> and and who would have thought a few years ago that like well basically. Oh, this is going to sound so horrible, but anything popular would come out of Mongolia. Yeah. Mainstream globally, something along those lines. And while metal's not, metal is globally popular, but it's not, it depends. I mean, in some, in some aspects it is mainstream, but in other aspects, in other larger aspects, it's not. And um, I think for that band to be able to make waves the way that they have is, is absolutely incredible. I mean, they're, they're coming here, you know, in a few months to do download and That's they're, right, they're yeah. touring all over the world and, and they're so unique, them. you know. And, good on them. I mean, yeah. I mean if, if it takes a fad or something like that to catch a band and, you know, or a, anything like that to drive it and it puts you up there suddenly on a pedestal, well, then so be it. I mean, I guess, you know, I um, was thinking of, um, what's, what's that, New Zealand band again? Uh, oh, um, popular. the young guys. Um Oh, 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 everyone's screaming at the, at their phone or whatever they're listening through right now. Um, 
Oh, come on. I feel really bad because I just saw them earlier on this year. Yeah, um, they are. Um, alien, alien Weaponry. Alien Weaponry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so jump out there. I mean, it's great. I mean, I think it's fantastic that they've sort of, uh, you know, gotten out there. But, but then we're sort of now sort of suddenly we're thinking of New Zealand as being a kind of a, you know, yeah, we're putting yeah. them, we're putting them into the back thing, but that's and that's of course that isn't that isn't really appropriate either. So um, I think uh, the whole thing with metal, though, in, in a way, I and mean, the why metal is metal is because it's underground. Yeah, and that's there's something appealing about that. That's, so it's, and, that's, it's, and that's something, that, and that's and that's you know, that's, it's against the grain a little bit. You know, it go, it's against the grain, and that's you know, in a way, that's one of the things that makes it fun. Yep. Uh, in when travelling in different parts of uh, the world as, as well to go and seek it out, you know, mm. so go and uh, you know patronise it and uh, and and give the give the give the locals a bit of a, a bit of foreign support, and yeah, and they love it, you know. Well, that's it. And it's I mean, something fun about it. if it was so easy to find or just easy easily accessible, then I think it would lose part of its appeal as well. It's sort Correct. of like going on, oh, like you know, weird comparison, but it's sort of like you know record hunting you know you're going through like some old dusty sort of secondhand record store and you're flicking through and most of it's just rubbish and then suddenly just out of nowhere this is like gem of like some single from like the early 80s some metal release or whatever and you're like oh my god i like of all the places like i'd never find this here and here it is and it's the same sort of thing traveling you know you you go up an alleyway or you, now these days like while we've got more information, we're connected, we're still trying to work out a map to try and find the place, you know, the place yeah. that everybody talks about. And so, you, you know, I mean, Japan's like one of those places as well where it's, you know, they've been one of the go-tos for, for hard rock and metal for, for decades. But even even now, like, you know, there's something thrilling about walking through parts of the major cities trying to find the clubs, the rock clubs, the metal clubs, and you know they've got they've got little metal bars. So, like, yeah. There's one famous one in in Shinjuku called Gods, and um, and every band, and well, over exaggerating, but almost every band that comes to Japan, or at least for the first time, will find themselves at that bar. the The promoters usually take them there at least for mm-hmm. a drink or something like that. The guys behind the bar, they've got these um, square pieces of uh, white cardboard that they get the bands to sign, and they put them up on the wall. Yep and all the signs so you walk in there and it is tiny it is like comparing the hotel room thing again it's probably half the size of this room and it's just a long right. barrel on the thing yeah. there's a big screen tv and you, you 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 sort of creak your neck back to try and watch the tv but there's the music's blaring there's great stuff in the little shit hole, yeah. oh, it's amazing yeah. it's this little yeah. diaper but it's yeah. so cool they've got loads of those in yeah. in, in istanbul yeah right really yeah okay. istanbul is yeah. really really good for metal and uh, that's another place. Uh, I was there actually just recently. I was just uh, I was there for like twenty four hours. I was changing, you know, transiting know. on flights. Yeah, right. And yeah, up in the on the on the uh, Taksim Square sort of side mm-hmm. of the uh, of the city, and Istanbul's huge. Um, there's heaps of metal bars, and it's it's really really popular. But they're all, of course, like most places are all there. You know, there's sort of shitholes in the wall. Yeah. You know, yeah. but. Uh, but you can do a pub crawl, you know, just die, just jump in and yeah, out of each yeah. one, you, have a you beer. Yeah, you got to kind of see. You do have to sort of seek them out, but it's a bit of a, a, you know, a classic adventure. I, I went there and I, met, I went to uh, this bar, and there was this uh, older guy in there, and he was a uh, record shop owner yeah. there in Istanbul, and he dealt in obscure records. So it's interesting that that, that you mentioned this, and he knew heaps of Australian bands, a lot of garage, he was more into, more of a punk guy, but yep. he was, uh, he knew heaps of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Australian garage and punk bands and alternative rock and a little bit of metal bands, you know, from the eighties and nineties in Adelaide that I, you know, like people, you know, even out of Adelaide are probably, you know, of all, uh, of all barely, the places barely, barely heard of. And this was in Istanbul. Wow. 
Yeah, he's a classic, uh, classic character, and he was just rattling him off, and I'm going, my goodness. You know more than me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> probably know more than me. I mean, sort of kicking around the scene, you know, sort of, you know, now and for a pretty long time. I thought I, thought, I thought I knew most of it stuff. He goes, oh, you know the exploding white mice, don't you? I'm like just standing there, just in you know, shaking my head in dis- in disbelief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's cool. I think you, yeah, it's the old cliche. You know, it's a small world sort of thing. And I think when, especially because you share you share a common interest, which ultimately is is a niche subgenre of mm-hmm. of an interest. And so I think when you connect with people, doesn't matter where they are in the world, you find that commonality straight away. And it's it's like it's like you've known the person for yeah, for, it's like glue. Yeah, straight so. away. There's that instant bond, and it's just so it's so appealing, and and you know I've been through it myself, and I, I know a lot of mates of mine. You, know, you sort of roll your eyes every once in a while because you're like, oh yeah, the old metal cliche. You know, uh, you know, you see the guy in the Slayer shirt, and you sort of point him out, and go yeah, give him the horns, and it's so cheesy, but it's it's such a rush to be able to connect with people. And I think it's such, such a human thing as well. I think it everyone is. sort of wants to be able to sort of have it. That's why that's why sports so uh, popular. You know, that tribal aspect of having a community and going for the same team and no matter what happens you stick together and all that sort of stuff and it's yeah. the same with metal it's the same concept I mean it's that's that's right I mean it's not like you know when you walk down the street and you got your you know probably something wearing something similar to what I'm wearing now I got the yeah, maybe a black 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 shorts and the maiden shirt but you might be wearing some obscure uh, relatively obscure metal band shirt or something like that and you'd just be walking down the street in I don't know in Spain or something <laughs> and then some dude will point you out and go hey yeah yeah yeah, and, and, and you might, like, maybe you stop or maybe you just keep passing each other by and it's just like this smirk or laugh or yeah. a point or whatever. And it's just like this little, this little acknowledgement, a little bit of validation and you sort of go, yeah, that's cool. And and just and then you just get on with life. You that's keep, right. keep going. I laughed at yesterday. I was in Melbourne and um, I was walking past, oh, I won't remember the area, but I was walking past one of the old churches and there was this really young guy and he was sitting on, um, sitting on sort of the the sandstone sort of bench along the, the sort of like the fence line. Yep. And um, he had a shirt on and I was walking too quickly um, to sort of try and decipher what the hell it was. It was some, it was some black metal t-shirt st- uh, t- stereotypically, you know, with a logo you can't decipher, but it was something I hadn't recognized before, but it was definitely very sort of cult and underground. And I sort of laughed and I, but I did, I just, I didn't react quick enough to say anything witty but i just laughed and he sort of looked up me up at, up at me and i wasn't wearing anything of uh, for him to sort of identify right, yeah, apart yeah. from the long hair identify you apart from the long hair yeah, yeah. and but yeah. i just laughed because it was just so it was so funny to see this this kid sort of sitting at the front of this church with this sort of blasphemous shirt on and i just thought oh, that's so cool yeah, but at the same yeah, time yeah. it's like very metal know, but there was, yeah. there was an instant little connection it was like oh that that was probably me you know 15 20 years ago <laughs> you know it's just super cool you know it's, yeah exactly uh, yeah. Very, very, uh, I know I do sort of wonder what I'll sort of it would be like you know when uh, another sort of uh, 30 years ago uh, th- 30 years from now when I'm, when I'm 70 and I'm still there smirking at some sort of uh, you know, 18 year old brat sort of doing the same sort of thing you know <laughs> do, you, do you find metal, many uh, metal fans in your field do, yeah, actually, it yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, metal, um, I'm not sure. Yes, a bit. Yeah. I think music. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, geology, geophysics is 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 actually an area which is very, you know, which it does a, um, uh, attract a lot, quite a lot of uh, uh, musical minded people. Mm. Uh, of some description or other, and in fact, uh, at 
even some of these international conferences and things like that, they have jam sessions in the really? in the yeah, and either on their social nights out. They'll, in fact, one of the ones I was in, I was in London yeah. uh, for this uh, for the annual conference, the one I was mentioning earlier, um, and. Yeah, they had as part. Well, I was part of the conference evening, you know, the big social night out, which they have as has happens mid conference. They organise a jam session, and this is the jam session is taking place inside the Natural History Museum wow. uh, in London. And this is so, ridiculous. yeah, and so <laughs> I, I, I sort of, uh, I didn't get to play, uh, unfortunately, but yeah, apparently you had to register uh, okay. uh, interest uh, and say you were going to be a participant, and you know, blah 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 blah. So I didn't get a chance, but I, I almost did, but. Um, yeah, and so that that was actually forming part of the proceedings, and it's because so many uh, uh, geoscientists and musicians they play some instrument or another. And I was just talking to some guy there who was you know, the one of the, the, the drummer, and he was we were just talking about you know going all around to all the bloody uh, European uh, uh, rock and metal festivals, of course, all the time as a, cool. as a, as you were as you do. But it's yeah, and this is not but this is not the first one in in Southeast Asia as well. I've been to a few there, and then you know, they say, "Oh, Matt, we remember you. Oh, you got in the." Co- in the box for the you know the, where the stand was and you played some guitar you know <laughs> or something you like that and I was just playing some cheesy ACDC shit or something <laughs> like that you know just for the just to sort of uh, you know make them laugh while walking around wearing a suit but um, yeah so it's actually uh, it's actually very well uh, uh, patronised uh, in terms of the the, the music, music, uh, people with uh, musical habits and you know and musicology it's, it's a very big part of, uh, of the geoscience community I think there's definitely yeah. a thrill there when mm. you well it wouldn't be so much unexpected for yourself but you know when you find people that you can't immediately, immediately identify that they like something especially in that in that topic of music and then you you discover just through conversation that eventually you go, well, hang on, you know that, Ben? Yeah. It's like, yeah, of course. And like, well, hang on, whoa. And suddenly you just, this rabbit hole, you just you dive down and suddenly you're just throwing bands back and forth, songs, albums, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, oh my God, like I would never have picked you and vice versa or whatever it might be. Correct. Uh, that's actually what happened to me very specifically um, with, a, with a guy that I met uh, uh, at a conference. Um, I think it was about, Two years ago now, and his name was uh, Rob. It was this American dude, and it turns out he was um, he was a few years older than me, but he was connected uh, to all these people who were involved in the uh, in the late eighties, early nineties uh, um, rock and metal scene in LA. Um, and yeah, he was just yeah, as you say, sort of diving down uh, the rabbit hole there. And basically, what ended up happening was that we just uh, got off into this tangent of a topic uh, about. Uh, rock and metal next thing you know six months later we're going to grass pop together so you know because we're both you know heading heading for the uh you know the you know the european conference at that time i was like okay you know i guess we're off to grass pop wow you know and suddenly so i end up camping with them at grass pop you know and so that's, oh, that's super cool yeah um, i think um there's a guy i work with um and i don't know if he'll ever listen to this but uh hi andrew um he'll know who he is but um i i was having a chat to him at um at a function and it just I don't even know how the conversation started I think I think he may have known that I play music or something along those lines but anyway um, it got to a point where um, he said that he liked metal and I go and usually like when people say oh you like metal it's like oh maybe they might like metallic or something like that it's something or you know something very triple m-ish you know it's sort of the basics or the, the the fundamentals yeah and he's like um yeah like um, i'm a big a big sabaton fan i went what yeah. and i'm like and like i'm not a massive fan or anything like that but i, I like a lot like yeah, of yeah. their songs it but suddenly matter. i was just like 
whoa, you you know that band? Okay. And then suddenly it was just we we went down this 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 thing and, and just started trading bands back and forth and it was super cool. And so, you know, we, we, we work in different areas and uh, don't yeah. often sort of bump into each other, but every once in a while I'll get a little Skype message or an email through going, you know, oh, what do you think between these albums? Blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking about buying this, and et cetera, et cetera. And so suddenly you're, you know, you're, you're immersed in whatever you're doing and suddenly you start talking about metal. It's like, oh, this is this is kind of cool, you know? It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, well, that's right. Are. There's no doubt that I've formed connections uh, in my industry because mm. of the, the musical interest. Um, and, and it helps. It Sometimes it, it uh, that also sort of gets you places. So um, there was a, there's a person, yeah, I know just recently, even here in Adelaide, uh, just randomly who was looking me up because for some, another reason, it turned out he was a guitarist in a band and uh, yeah, and he knows a drummer who I know and blah, 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 blah. There you go. And then Small away world. you go and suddenly we're working on a business opportunity. You know, so uh, um, it's amazing how, how it happens. That's so, so cool. That's yeah. so cool. I mean, they're just in in the most unlikely of places. And I think now, because if you think about metal, you know, sort of, you know, and it's always debatable about who started, but, you know, Black Sabbath is usually, usually the mainstay and then it sort of goes from there. So if you think about sort of the 70s into the 80s, and, and I always say, like, yes, there's great metal in the 90s and the 2000s. The last 20 years has been some fantastic stuff, but the 80s has always been that sort of real soft spot of some incredible, incredible bands, classic albums, etc. And you think about sort of that tied in with the generations now, really your metalheads now are only starting to get into into their 40s and 50s now. And so you find that like it's more common to find these people in every walk of life now, whereas maybe when we're all younger, you know, and we looked at our parents, it would be, you know, it was always a frowned upon as a stereotype. So it was always, you know, metal, devil music or things devil like that. Music, or yeah. it would be um, associated with people that, uh, you know, you know, riffraff or whatever it might be. And I think now, like, you just bump into people that are working in all sorts of different That's places. right. And that's, I think that's got to do with the persistence of, of some of that music that became really big at the end mm. of the 80s and, and into the early 90s and yeah. how that's persisted in, in, in culture uh, since then. And then that's been carried forward, as you say. So people who are in their teens, uh, you know, or early 20s and stuff like that at, around, around about that time, yeah, are now, you know, we're heading into their, you know, 40s as you, or, you know, or early 50s or whatever. And, yeah, that's right. And because that's become saturation... Uh, later on, it's it's now more more normal yeah. to see that yeah. sort of thing. Go, you know, as you as you as you say, as you go out in different different kinds of walks in life, and then to make those kinds of connections. Um, I mean, I'm kind of fascinated by a bit in a way that the fact that in the fact that it's actually persisted. I really thought when I was in my twenties that you know maybe by the time I was thirty, you know, maybe it might be all over. Like you know, metal was just just a fad or, or yeah. the idea of being in a band is, was just you know like one of these things that you just did for a while and then you know maybe you started a, a, a family and there's just a phase or yeah. uh, I didn't really even, but at the same time I also thought to myself well you know well this is stuff I like I don't know really why I should ever stop listening to it um, you know it's uh, <laughs> I think it was a bit of a generational yeah. thing as well because I think you know when whenever you're stereotypical sort of teenager or in the or even early 20s but even by that stage thing you know you, you tend to become an adult and think you're getting a bit older but you know there was always that sort of cliche of oh well it's just a phase it'll pass you know the, the parents or whatever it might be so yeah. anything that was sort of like a little bit counterculture or a bit a bit sort of against the grain was always seen as 
oh well that person will grow out of it they eventually they'll get over it and yeah all the other the other stereotype was you know people that you would maybe go to school with and things like that and so you know you bump into them later on down the track out after after school's over and and you're like, oh, you're still doing that thing? Like, nah, I got over that. Yeah, blah, blah. I've got, I've got kids in the house now and I'm doing a nine to five job or whatever it might be. And nah, I'm not, I'm, yeah, that's, that's stuff's shit. That's silly stuff, you know? And you sort of go, oh, okay. And so there's all these sort of narratives that sort of run along where people sort of not identify with it, but they sort of relate to it thinking that, that well, that's what you do, you know? Eventually yeah. you sort of, you know, it's it's an adolescent thing to like things that are rebellious, and metal was always being rebellious. So that means that eventually, when people mature, that they'll they'll shed those things and continue on. Now, if you look under the surface and you bypass the stereotype, you realise that it's got nothing to do with just a re- rebellion or anything like that. There's just there's so much texture to to music in general, but even to heavy music and rock and metal and all these sort of things. And I think yeah. once and to be a, And to be a, a fan of certainly of certain kinds of uh, metal and stuff, it, you know, you, well, it's really hard to imagine that it doesn't persist. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like you never heard of the, of the, of the I don't know, I don't know which, who, who quoted this, but there's some famous uh, person who sort of quoted uh, something like, well, you never heard, you never heard of the Slayer fan, you know, who, who went to, you know, you know, a Slayer concert once, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and that was it, you know, like, oh, I did that once, you know, when I was 18. Yeah, got nah, over you it. Only, you only ever met the Slayer fan who's sort of, you know, who's got, you know, sort of, you know, the, the <laughs> season, you know, the, the, the logo, Slayer logo sort of tattooed on their nutsack, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> going back to, going back to re- rebellious uh, sort of uh, tendencies. Yeah, I, I think um, it's just, look, there's definitely people that sort of, uh become attracted to what it is and and i guess aspects of it and that can align in with an identity that people create during different parts of their lives so when yeah. people are going through maybe friction and tough times growing up and trying to find their own feet etc etc then it might be quite appealing because especially if you're struggling with a lot of other things then it's a rebellious sort of thing to latch onto. and as yeah. you get past those things personally then it's it's not as identifiable as it used to be yeah but i think for a for, i think for the most for the majority of people that discover hard music, heavy music, metal, etc., I think most people just really. I think there's definitely an identity thing, but I don't think it's for the the sole purpose of um, any f- form of like going against the grain or doing something that's anti anti establishment or anything like that. No, not really. It's it, but it's it's probably more of an indication of of an of an average mindset of a certain group of sort of society and yeah. and you know sure there are there are common there are common threads common threads to it like you know the uh, a lot of people who it, there is a rebellious aspect to it but you know but there's a rebellious aspect to a lot of kinds of rap and hip-hop type yeah, music definitely. as well and things like that as That's well it. um for example uh, stuff that i don't i admit i don't really get much into but but uh you know, those. It's more. I think that's that's a particular that still identifies a certain stream of people in society, mm. and I don't think this particular stream of uh, people are also. Um, we don't find the outlets in the way that say other people do. Like you know, so we're not. We don't go out and march in the streets. Yep. Metalheads are not not really marching the streets kind mm. of people. Mm. We jump in the mosh pit and take out our issues and our aggressions. Uh, kind of. And things like that there, or you know, we're headbanging him out at home, or whatever. 
Oh, we're drinking them out probably more likely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, that's identifying a stream of... Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's, a, it's identifying a stream of, uh, of a certain, uh, you know, a, a group of people, I guess, who are really all connected through this particular music. So it really is actually... I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, subculture of, it's a subculture of people. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, I think taking the pressure off uh, sort of the identity aspect of it as well, where... You know, I know a lot of people that are really passionate about metal music, um, but if you if you walk past them in the street, you'd never pick it. You know, yeah. and but then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the guy who is just one hundred percent metal from from the inside to oh, out, yeah. and you'll you'll spot them a mile away, and you know exactly you know yeah. you know them. You can read them straight away, and but that's the cool thing. It's like everyone gets something different out of it, and and uh, I think yeah, I, I just think it's 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 something that's more noticeable now than ever before because it's not the old stereotypes and as we said yeah, before like yeah. i think the generation generations are changing where it's become more the norm rather than this uh, sort of very f- sort of fringe interest that um would be uh, shocking to the yeah that's generation. right there would there's probably still quite a few people out there who wouldn't have have a clue mm. especially in my professional uh world that you know of my interest in 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 in, in hard rock and heavy metal mm. i don't really go out and you know, the people who who know me who might might hear this hear, hear this particular podcast would probably chuckle, but I don't I don't I don't really go out and and blatantly advertise it like in my in, certainly not in my professional life or anything yeah. like that. And also, uh, I'm not an obsessive metalhead at all. I listen to a lot of different kinds of uh, different kinds of music, and I go and do a lot of different kinds of. Uh, Different, different kinds of social uh, things and uh, other other musical things, and you know, I'm not always dressed up and looking like a bloody metalhead. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, some sort of metalhead scumbag. You know, you know. I mean, I <laughs> might actually out. be really that inside. You know, rip off the shirt, and you know, and that's you know, <laughs> it's like the Superman outfit. Yeah, just correct. Yeah, yeah, super. You know, yeah. <laughs> super metal dickhead. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. So it's it's uh, uh, it's it for me. I like to have different. You know, I mean, for me, I like to have those different mm. kinds of personalities and different aspects about my life. Trying to try like to try and keep things interesting, but you know, yeah, you know, there's it's good, you know, it's pretty always uh, quite funny uh, walking down the street as you say and seeing your your heart on the sleeve kind of metal diehard. Oh, that's you know. right. Uh, it's great. I can yeah. think of a number, any number of them in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. look, I'm 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 sure we know. I'm sure we've got a bunch of um, yeah. There's one particular people. guy I know. Like he's <laughs> he's really, he's like he just suddenly some turns out randomly. You know, just about nearly every show that I go to. Yeah. You know, suddenly he's just there. You know, he's just yeah. like he would just appear out of nowhere and he'd be just washing, washing, washing his head off. You know, it's just like oh, it's him again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old faithful. Yeah. <laughs> so um, like, so I'm thinking of the time, but um. What's what's this year look like for you? Are you doing any travelling? Are you getting around? Yeah, this year's a bit of a still a little bit of an unknown factor. Yeah. Um, uh, it's last year was good in I had a good year in some ways. It was a little bit, uh, but some stagnant in some ways that were uh, where I where I was trying to progress things a little bit. So I'm hoping that this year is going to be a, a bit more of a, a, a developmental year mm. where um, some aspects of the kind of the work that I do are going to shift a little bit. I mean, as much as I've uh, I've enjoyed doing the consulting and the and that kind of free life, uh, I'd probably need uh, some aspects that are a little bit more solid and regular, certainly in terms of you know financial stuff, yep. but uh, for the financial aspect of it, but. Um, yeah, I would like. I'm also seeking to sort of try and change uh, things around a little bit and uh, you know develop uh, what I do in a in a slightly different way. Um, 
you know maybe starting to put more back into the into the education sort of part of things also sort of start uh, in also in terms of my professional development so i'm looking at that a bit um but there was also some trouble on the cards of course um <laughs> There's, a, there's my there's my mid year uh, mid year conference uh, as yep. I and it's in which happens to be in Amsterdam oh, this year. <laughs> what a shocker! Yeah. <laughs> oh damn! All right, I oh guess I well, go. I better I better go. <laughs> I, I submitted my uh, technical paper, you know, for that uh, only a couple of nights ago, yep. so that went in, and I, I, you know, I'm fingers crossed, uh, touch wood, uh, that, that gets accepted, and they let me uh, talk. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then straight after that is Download Festival. If I if I do that, it'll be my seventh one. Uh, uh, not bad. Yeah, so <laughs> you'll you'll have a bit on your plate. A bit of, yeah, bit of have regrouping a, have a bit this year. It'll, it'll, it'll make up a little bit for missing out on Hellfest. I still haven't been, but yep. you know, down Download Fest is always just usually more. It's uh, not called Brownload or Download. <laughs> down, uh, you know, sort of Drownload for without good reason. It's usually uh, horrific and drenched with rain and cold. Well, definitely uh, memorable. Ah, oh, but uh, yeah, it's often uh, it's often uh, often memorable. Last year was pretty memorable. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, I think yeah. I think um, I'll definitely have to get a few people following what you're doing. Sure. And um, actually, do you, do you put do you write at all like with with your field of work? Do you put anything yeah. online? Yeah, uh, I but- do put things online. There's usually uh, I put I have a website um, for my for my for my business, um, and I also I post on LinkedIn. Um, okay. So on on LinkedIn, I'm 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 present there, and yeah, I I publish uh, articles and sometimes uh, thoughts on different things um i don't use it in the same way as i use facebook which is just random bits of whatever um but yeah on linkedin i try to treat that as a bit more as a as my you know that's my professional social media sort of uh mouthpiece so sometimes I, I i put a few things on there oh i'll chuck a few links in so people can have a oh, little sticky beak in and see see what you're up to <laughs> awesome man thank you so much and yeah uh, no worries and and do you like my stealth uh grabbing the beers as well yeah during, yeah, uh, yeah that, that yeah. was uh that, that was a uh, particularly well done yeah yeah true <laughs> professional all right thanks man cheers all right Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you want to reach out to Matthew and say hello, you can do so by clicking on the links in the show notes over at andydowling.net or andysocial.net, or depending on what you're listening to this through right now, there should be a bunch of clickable links. So grab your stubby little digits and smash them against the screen and you should be able to get through to uh, Matt's social media pages and you can say hello to him. As I say, with every guest that's been on the podcast, please reach out to these people, say hello, give them a little thumbs up or a little bit of social media love and let them know that you uh, got something or you enjoyed their, their episode. Um, it goes a long way. And hell, go right back to the start. Go back to those first few people that sacrificed themselves, took the plunge, took the risk to talk to me, cop an ear bashing from me, um, and let them know that you're still listening. Maybe they've even forgotten that this podcast exists, that they even had the conversation with me in the first place. Let them know that the gift keeps on giving. That'd be fantastic. At least I would be amused anyway. I'm sure they would get a kick out of uh, people contacting them many years because this podcast has been going on for many years now. What are we? Uh, uh, 2015, we, we kicked this off. So we're four and a half years in and we're still trucking. Every Thursday night, folks, every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Sydney time, we've got a new guest episode coming out. So stay tuned for that. Um, lots of other things happening behind the scenes. I'm recording these intros and outros a little bit in advance, but there are a few changes that are on the horizon. So I'm going to leave it at that. Make sure you keep up to date on my social media pages, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, YouTube. Um, 
andydowling.net is the best place to start um, and you'll be able to keep up to date with everything that's going on in my, my world um, and I will uh, share some more updates and, and things that happen in the future as they roll on. But uh, as I'm recording these a little bit in advance, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. So there you go. Uh, if you want to support the podcast as well, apart from a bit of social media love and sharing these great episodes around, uh, you can donate a couple of bucks over at paypal.me slash official. It goes a long way to keeping this podcast sustainable covers the hosting, um, it covers uh, the editing, it covers gear, um, and it covers a whole bunch of other ideas that I have uh, that are coming up where I'm investing to uh, make this podcast bigger and better. So lots of things happening, lots of great ways to support the podcast. The fact that you're even listening to me right now, it means a hell of a lot. So until next week, folks, thank you very, very much. Take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.